thanks, Linda, for reading God's Word to us. Well, warm welcome and Happy New Year's to everybody. Uh, I've decided you can continue saying Happy New Year's to people you haven't seen up until February. So if I haven't seen you, I've seen you all now, so this is the last one you'll get. But if you want to keep extending the New Year's, um, and for a bunch of us like uh, Tyson who lost power, we need all the Happy New Year's we can get. But I heard Wonga Wallen got power back yesterday, so bring on the ice cubes. Well, it is New Year's, um, a new year, and people think through values. People think through a bunch of different things. Um, just before we begin, um, if, you, if you're uh, not a member of this church, but you're interested in belonging to this church, you, you want to know, you know if you want to call this church home or be part of this church, but you haven't done church life, um, and church life is our shorthand word phrase of looking at what we believe is the church and how we think the Bible shapes our life together. So as Tyson said earlier, that is on the 1st of February, and I commend you, please come to that. Um, that is the best way to get to know us um, as a church to see whether you want to join us, um, be part of following Jesus with us. So that's my encouragement um, for those who are considering being part of the church. But I'll, I'll pray, and um, we'll get into today's text. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for your precious son. Thank you for your precious spirit that we may be able to hear these words from your son, that we today may be formed and shaped more into his image and likeness. Help us, church, Lord. Help us today have ears to hear and eyes to see, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I thought I'd start with an easy question for a day like today. Um, how much would you pay for a loaf of bread? How much are you willing to pay for a loaf of bread? Well, I remember growing up at the local store, it was a dollar, a dollar a loaf. Um, gone are those days for a dollar a loaf. And it was two dollars a loaf, and you're maybe lucky to get two, three dollars for a loaf. If you're gluten-free, you pay about thirteen dollars for three slices. Um, how much you pay for a loaf of bread? Well, in Spain, if you're willing, if you're willing, that is, you can pay $2,417 to have a loaf of the world's most expensive bread. You must really value your carbs to pay that kind of cost. You must really value bread. And that's the funny thing about value. One of the ways that you know something is valuable is by the cost someone is prepared to make for it. And so as we look uh, ahead to 2024, one of the questions that I think we need to ask is, well, how valuable is the kingdom of heaven to you? How valuable is the kingdom of heaven to you? This past weekend, I had the joy of attending two weddings. And at these weddings, you are reminded of, of value and of cost and of joy. You see, for the first wedding, the, the bride was coming over from the USA and she was here to, to marry one of our members here, Tarek. And so she left behind not just country, but family and friends to be with her husband. Being married to him, for her, was great value, shown through great cost. Second wedding yesterday, another mate who I've known for years, um, was the kind of guy who was always on the move. Always uh, like kind of moving places to places, busy guy. Uh, and he was planning on traveling around Australia in his troopie, working remotely. That is until he met his now wife, now wife, 18 months ago. So he decided to settle down, to, to, to be in one place, to put down roots. For him, great cost. But because of her, 
the great value he saw in being with her. And we aren't to think that these great costs were paid with some kind of great resignation, but rather they were paid, what, with, with great joy. I mean, after all, the, the bride's face streamed with tears as she got to marry her Aussie man. And my mate's face beamed with joy at commitment to a person and a place. Great value, great cost, great joy. And so we're looking at here today in Jesus' parable. It brings out the great value of the kingdom of God. It's great cost and it's great joy. Or as John Piper puts it, the kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. I don't know if you've scored any good happy trade-offs lately or got yourself a bargain, but I don't think we are to think too literally here about buying our way into the kingdom. Money cannot buy you love, neither can it buy you the kingdom. No, the kingdom is a gift to receive, you know, to enter into it. You are to receive it like a child, giving a gift from a parent, getting given a gift from a parent. Jesus had already said that back in verse 11 when speaking about understanding parables and grasping what they mean. He says, to you, this is to the disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them has not been given. Understanding of the kingdom and the kingdom itself is something given by God. And so these disciples here are receiving Jesus' words. Jesus has been teaching to the crowds generally. And now he's speaking to his disciples directly, and he's been talking in parables. You may ask, Darren, what is a parable? Well, shortly, short little definition, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Um, one of Matthew's goals in writing the, this gospel is to answer the question, as I think Jonathan Lehman put it, where on earth is heaven? Where can we find it? Where do we see it? How can we enter it? What's life like in heaven? Where do we see that? And Jesus is telling parables, and parables usually only have one major point, to help us just understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, what is the kingdom of heaven? We're told about its value in this. But what is it? Well, this is Kevin DeYoung, he says at its simplest, the, the kingdom is where the king is, where God is acknowledged, where his subjects are saved, where his enemies are vanquished, where his ways are obeyed. It involves all the blessings and benefits of being under the rule and reign of God. We ought to think that uh, the kingdom of God was a, a brand new concept for these disciples hearing it as if they heard it for the first time. No, well, David declared in the Psalms, the Lord is king forever and ever. And that his, um, that his dominion endures throughout all generations. Daniel spoke of the God of heaven who will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And this kingdom of God has come near through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It has begun, but it's still awaiting its full consummation when Christ will return again. You can enter the kingdom now. The kingdom, my friends, is about life with God as king. The main point of the parable is that the kingdom of heaven is of incalculable worth. So as we look at the parable today, I want us to consider how we see and how we would show the value of the kingdom. So let's look at them, the two parables. We have a man living his life. He uh, is in a field going about his business when he stumbles across some treasure. Uh, this is not just simply a, a one in a million chance um, of discovery. This is more like a one in a million lifetimes discovery. It's uncommon in the day to bury treasure. I don't know if you store 
treasure in your backyard. If you do, come and talk. We'll talk about banks. Before banks were set up, people would bury their treasure in the ground, a way to keep it safe. And here the man has stumbled across it. Clearly, this man does not own the property, for his desire is to purchase it. And clearly, the owner of the property doesn't know the treasure is there, otherwise he would not have sold it. The ethics here isn't in question. That would lose the point of the parable. The parable is to see the value. What does this man do? Well, he covers it up and in his joy, now just take note of that, in his joy, sells all that he has and buys that field. You can just imagine him thinking about the treasure. That's what's on his mind as he's leaving that field. What he could get if he had that treasure. Thinking about what he'd have to sell off to buy this field. You, can you imagine how the conversation would have gone with the spouse? Imagine how the conversation would have gone with his accountant. So you say you found treasure? Yes. And you're telling me you'd like everything to be sold in order to get this? Yeah, yeah, yeah I want the field. You want to sell everything? Yes, I want to sell everything. I want to sell the house? Yeah, the house. You, you, you want to sell the car, the, the donkey, the rams, the children? No, no, we'll keep the children, we'll keep them. Sell it all. I want this field. You can imagine that his neighbors catching wind of this would say, surely you shouldn't go all in for the field. I mean, show some restraints. You've got a future to think about. You've got hopes and dreams you're trying to build in this world. Think about that. Don't go all in. Some would think he's mad. See, to those on the, actu- on the outside, his actions would seem somewhat foolish, wouldn't they? But to those on the inside, to those who know the value of what's in that field, to not purchase the field would seem foolish. Deeper reality is that this earthly wealth was a small price to pay for the hidden treasure of incalculable value. Missionary Jim Ellett, you know, he said so eloquently, he is no fool to give up what we cannot keep to obtain that which we cannot lose. So it is for those who obtain the kingdom of heaven. He discovers, he covers, he sells, and he secures. This morning you asked, what is the kingdom of heaven like, Darren? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a man finding treasure, selling all that he has, and buying the field to make it his own. Now there's another man with a similar story. Yet this man didn't simply stumble across treasure, but rather he was seeking it. This guy was seeking pearls of treasure his whole life. He was a pearl merchant. He wakes up thinking about pearls. He daydreams about a better life involving pearls. Perhaps he wants to marry a woman named Pearl. And one day, with a keen eye, knowing what he's been looking for, he finds what? A pearl of great value. This is what he has been searching for all his life. This is what the stories were saying. This is the one that you think you're never going to find, and he has found it. What would you do if you've been searching for pearls your whole life, and you come across a pearl like that? What cost would you be willing to pay? Well, he says he sells all in order to have it. This is the world's largest garage sale. He, he really changes and modifies his whole life because this pearl is the thing he's been searching for his whole life. 
And that really is the, the kind of the only difference between these two parables. You have one who stumbles across the treasure and another who has been seeking out the treasure. And I, I think in, by way of application, you've, you've got the Jews who have been seeking the Messiah, seeking out the kingdom of heaven, looking and longing and waiting for it. Like John the Baptist, they say, are you the one we've been waiting for? Or should we expect another? So the disciples, upon seeking that, cash all in to, to follow Jesus and there are others who simply stumble across it. Matthew, the tax collector, just kind of there in his booth one day, and Jesus comes along, stumbled across this life in the kingdom. So the merchant searches, he sees, he offloads, and he obtains. You say, Darren, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Someone asks you at work, what is this kingdom of God like? You say, well, it's, it's like many things, but one thing it's like, it's like a merchant search of pearls, who finds one pearl of great price and sells all that he had to buy it. That's what it's like. So the kingdom, friends, firstly, is extremely valuable. Its, it's value is almost incalculable. It's everything. That's the first point. The second point is that, yes, it's really valuable, but by way of implications, it also means it's what? It's very costly. So you understand the value of something by how much it costs. Um, every guy who's got married has, has done his research into diamond rings. And if every guy's honest, he's had that moment of, of thinking how, it's not that our love can have a price on it, but will she notice if the clarity's not that clear? Will a cubic suffice instead? And diamonds um, can cost between, between five to up to $205,000 per gram. I looked up the most expensive materials in the world, which is an exciting thing to do. It's kind of, it's kind of endearing at the end of it when you realize some of them are used to keep time for nuclear clocks, which I thought, to be honest, just... People have been keeping time for quite a while. Um, endohedral fullerene, which of course is a cage of carbon atoms, that's uh, it's worth 150 million per gram. Per gram. Didn't quite make the Christmas list. It's so costly. Why is it so costly? It's so costly because it is so valuable. Apparently, nuclear clocks are important. Great value, great cost. It's one of the ways you can know that something's valuable, right? Another way you can know that something is valuable is not by the cost you pay to get it, but by the cost you'll have to pay if you don't. Take sunscreen, for instance. Now, you won't know the value of sunscreen unless you know the deadly consequences of skin cancer. Why else would you want to lather yourself up with this oily white liquid? Why else would you want to put this stuff on you that stains your clothes, conspires with your sweat to dilute and drip and sting in your eyes, and then entrap you and force you and say, you better put me on every couple of hours or else it's going to cost you. Well, why? Because there's great value in it. There's great value in it because there's great cost if you don't. Jesus is teaching on this parable. This parable doesn't just kind of happen out of thin air. There's a cadence, there's a rhythm, there's an order to both Matthew's structuring of the gospel accounts 
and Jesus' words. You see, this parable fits in. It's kind of bookended by two other parables. Jesus has been teaching the cost of not receiving the kingdom. We're teaching, explaining the parable of the weeds, where at the end of the age, angels will gather and sort between the good seed and the weeds, throwing the weeds, that is the unrighteous, into the furnace. Verse 42 of chapter 13. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me tell you a parable about the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure. Let me tell you about a merchant who finds a pearl. And then the next parable he tells is the parable of the net. And what happens at the parable of the net, at the end of the close of the age, we have angels, this is verse 50, who are to come and separate the evil from the unrighteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you know the value of something by how much it costs. You also know the value of something by how much it costs if you don't get it. This parable is bookended by eternal matters, weighty matters. Life and death matters. I think this helps us understand why this parable matters. Indeed, why today? We would even hear these words and think, why does this matter? Why do you here need to value the kingdom of God? Well, partly because if you don't, and if you haven't, there's a fiery furnace that awaits. And rejection away from the giver of life is to choose death, an eternal death. Jesus is teaching about the supreme value of the kingdom that is worth any sacrifice. Be us understand its worth is not subjective. It's objective. See, there's a familiar phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure, which is fine when it comes to trash and treasure. But if you apply that logic to the kingdom of heaven, you're going to end up in all sorts of problems, which is exactly what our society kind of does, right, when it comes to God. If you value this Christian thing, if you value this way of following Jesus, brilliant, that is good for you. You do that. I'm going to go do me. I'm going to live my life my way, live out my values. And yet, if Christianity is true, and the resurrected Jesus, and the testimony that we have in God's Word says it is, and friends, to kind of reject the kingdom of heaven is to not land up in neutral. It's to land up remaining under the just wrath of God. To reject the giver of life is to reject eternal life itself. So why is the kingdom of heaven so objectively valuable and worth every devotion to get? Because it is objectively costly if you do not. You won't know how to value something properly unless you know what it costs you if you don't get it. Do you, do you see? Do you see these eternal realities that would be musing in the minds of the disciples as they're hearing Jesus' teaching? Those who have ears to hear, those who have been given will be given more. These are realities that we need to prioritize in 2024. Sam prayed earlier that we would order our lives and our loves accordingly. All that we need to do that. The offer of the kingdom is, is there. What on earth would hold you back from entering heaven? So how valuable is the kingdom? Well, this parable says you could sell everything to have, to have it, and it would be a happy trade-off. 
Let's move from inside the story now to inside our own lives. I think this year, if we do want to grow in, in both knowing and seeing the value of the kingdom and showing its value, well, we, we need to kind of see it more, and we do need to show it more. After all, I think the, main, the, the man, it's his, it's his seeing of the treasure, and it's the merchant's kind of search and finding of the pearl that triggers the great joy and the great cost. It starts with seeing it, encountering it, experiencing it. And each of us need help, don't we, to make sure we're valuing the kingdom of God more than the things of this world. So where will we first see its value? Well, I think we're going to see the value this year. We're going to see the value in God's word and through God's people. If you want to see and know the value of the kingdom, you've got to see it in God's word. We need to be a people who inhabit the word of God. We see the value of Jesus each Sunday as he's preached and proclaimed. Each day as you turn the pages of scripture or listen to the word of God, seeing and savoring Jesus. As he's revealed and revered by the Holy Spirit, we want to see God. We're going to try to get the Word of God into our lives more. Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, There is no such thing as excess in our taking of this spiritual food. There is no such virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. I don't know what your Christmas food was like. I hope you showed some temperance. But maybe a lot of you did it. I know that rocky road that was made. There was mounds of it. It lasted somehow, I don't know, seven days. I'd, I tried to pace myself. And it just slowly, just, it slowly, there's a, there's a feast here. Oh, friends, the word of God, that is the goal here, isn't it? I give you permission for this year, show no temperance and feasting on the word of God. Show no restraint. Do not hold back from getting this word in your heart. This is the Christian's posture to the word of God, letting us feast upon it, seeing how valuable the kingdom is. Second, seed in God's people, right? We, we learn value from the people around us. I learned to value football through my dad's love of Liverpool. I learned to value godliness and, and humility and, and parenting and pastoring through watching the, the lives of the fellow elders, Matt, and Sam, and Nathan. I've even learned to, to value country music through being married to Tegan. We begin to absorb the values of the people around us, don't we? You never, meet, never met someone who's into cycling who doesn't have a friend who's into cycling. That happens, why? Because you, you absorb the values around. You want to see it. So this year, as you see people kind of opening up their homes and inviting people in and, and sharing a meal and sharing their lives and, and praying for you as you leave, you, you go, ah, that's how you live out the kingdom of heaven. We hear stories of people prayerfully praying for opportunities in the workplace to share the gospel. Just ways they're trying to invite others in to, to answer questions and objections to the faith. And you go, ah, that's how I learned to value the kingdom. As we see people show humility, meekness, attentiveness, thoughtfulness, peacefulness. We see the value of the kingdom played out in the lives of others. You see it. So ask, you want to value the kingdom this year? Well, the questions would be, well, how will you see it? And how will you see it in God's people? One of the ways you value the kingdom, I think, is just being, being regularly with God's people. It wants to... You value the things you count, or you count the things you value. 
people who want to lose weight want to know how much they want to weigh themselves and figure out how much they've changed and what numbers matter. And interesting things when it comes to church, and particularly church attendance, is if you were to count the times you attend church each year, um, numbers give you a kind of value. And some people think if we were to attend church, say, three out of four Sundays a month, that we're doing quite well. But play that over a year, you've actually missed three months of church. A quarter of the year, you did not gather with God's people for worship and fellowship. Friends, if one way we're going to see the kingdom, the value of the kingdom, is we've got to at least, at least, commit to seeing God's people gathering together for worship. Following Jesus is going to cost you way more than this, but it won't be less. So gather this year, gather together. Once you see it, then the implication is to show it. So the first question is, have I seen the value of the kingdom? Are you here today? Maybe you know, you're following Jesus, or maybe you're new, or maybe you're just refreshing your heart. Have I seen the immense value of the kingdom? The second question is, are you showing its value? See, these parables, it wasn't like this, this man stumbles across the hidden treasure and tells his buddies and says, this treasure is valuable, it is amazing. So are you going to buy the field? No, I don't think so. No, I think it'd be too much of a cost. No, well, you don't really know the value of the treasure then, do you? It's one thing to say I value the kingdom. It's another thing to show it with your life. Um, take dog owners, for example. Um, dog owners don't just say they value their dogs. They usually show it. And there's a range and there's an extent. And this can apply to cat owners too, I'm sure, but... Maybe a little bit less value. Sadly, a mate of mine, his dog got a tick recently, and he's vomiting, and there's paralysis, and he's rushed him to the vet. And he values the dog. You know he values the dog. He's, he's, in, he's posting about his, his, his dog and getting people to pray for his dog, and it's, he values his dog. Well, it's been two days. Veterinary care charges out about $800 every 12 hours. Two days in, I really know he values the dog. And I think he really wants us praying a little more persistently. But what he says, he shows. Value the dog. I'm paying the price. Great value is shown through great cost. And the question is, are we showing the cost? Are we showing the cost? Every time you call upon the mercy of the Lord for your sins... You show that you value the kingdom. Every time you walk in obedience to King Jesus, you are showing you that you value the kingdom living under his reign and rule. Every time you sit in communion with your friend and precious Savior Jesus, you show his value and the value of the kingdom. Great values come at great costs. And there is a kind of a sacrifice there, right? a sacrifice, obviously, firstly, that you must make by recognizing if you've entered the kingdom, you have left behind your old way of life. To enter the kingdom is to have a new king, and you are no longer the king or the queen of your own life. If you've entered the kingdom, that's the reality. The rest of your life now is conforming your life to his reign and rule, letting that permeate over every single area. So if you were to take the parts of your life, your, your family, your, your hope, your actions, your, your thoughts, I want you to imagine they've all got a salt sticker on it. 
And as you look at that sold sticker, there's a little inscription underneath. It says, property now belonging to the king. But I thought my knights were mine. No, you're a Christian now. They belong to the Lord. How would he like you to spend them? But I've worked this career that I've worked very hard at. I thought this was mine. Oh, dear friend, no. That's been sold. It's property of the king. What would he like you to do with it? Cannot hold on to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. You can take hold of the infinite value of Christ and relinquish your hold on life, living life on your own terms, or you'll hold on to your life and end up forsaking the kingdom. Jesus says, whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So let's imagine for a moment, we're this man, we were this man, and we found the treasure, and we decided to have a garage sale. Join with me on this quest. After taking a stock take of our lives, we realize that everything must go. Well, we see the merchant sells you know, the furniture, the fridge, the clothes in the cupboard, the car, the consumables, the hobbies, and even possibly the house. It's all gone. But then he starts to sell off the immaterial things. He, he sells off his idolatry. See, everyone's got those things, right, that regulate your emotions, that regulate your spendings, that regulate your joys and sorrows, and this idolatry, well, that's, that's going to fetch a high price, but that's got to go if you want to come into the kingdom. Sells off his righteousness. This won't fetch too much of a price. All that one had in the moral column of life, the collection of good deeds, the good intentions, the nice words, it's all cashed in. Like the Apostle Paul, who was your superstar Sunday school champion, such works, he said, are like dung. They don't count for much, but they are sold. Autonomy, you start selling off your autonomy. Oh, friends, now the pinch is being felt, isn't it? This one is big, it'll fetch a high price. Realizing that you are no longer your own, but you've been bought with a price. Called now to obedience and truth in the ways of Jesus. Individualism, that's got to go too. So you enter the kingdom to a family, you come in the family of God. That comes with rights and responsibilities. There's no free right here. Each person is, is gifted to, to pull their weight to see the, the family strengthened, served, built up, built out. You start selling off your emotivism. You say, I didn't even know I had that. You say, what is that? Emotivism. Oh, that's when you make decisions based on simply how you feel. If you're not really feeling it, if you don't really want it, you don't have to do it you realize you didn't even have that, but man, that's given you some good cash. You sell off your margin. At first, you think there's not much to sell off. But the more you start flicking through the, the folder, you go, the margin is actually quite a lot. I've just been filling it with a lot of things. And so your margin gets sold off. The spare time you allocate where your heart effortlessly drifts towards it's now going to be drifting towards the enjoyment of Jesus, the service of the kingdom. Well, what's left? Could there be anything left? You look back in the deep back of the shed. You know the, the deep back of the shed, the place you haven't touched in a while? 
Well, as miscellaneous items, you're boasting your pride, your laziness, your apathy, your charisma, your need to impress people and please others, your ability to pretend that everything's fine when it's not, your lies, your disrespect, your comforts, your pleasures, your inability to arrive at church on time. That was about just a thing I found in there for some. That's, that's just, well, I don't know, that's just a couple, it's just crazy, it's in there. Your dreams, your goals, your passions, your desires, all, all of that just gets cashed in. Sold, gone, gone, gone. And you think, what else could you ask of me? Well, then there's the possible cost. You say the possible cost. Yes, there's the possible costs. You may not get the promotion at work because if your love for Jesus means you won't cross ethical lines. Or you'll have a rejection of promotions because that's going to interfere with faithfulness to your family and the advancement of the gospel. Your friendships may be strained. You may have family who don't get it, who don't understand why you would follow Jesus. It might cost you that. It might cost you reputation. It might cost you more financially than you realize to live generously and faithfully. Hobbies, all sold in, cashed up. You cash in future relationships, romantic ones that aren't godly. It's going to be costly. House projects that take your time and attention away from delighting God's purposes. You take away possible undisciplined media consumption, it's all got to go. And now that you've sold it all, you've just got this huge pile of cash. It's one hurdle left. Now that you're rich beyond your wildest dreams, the question is, are you going to cash it all in? It's cost you a great deal, hasn't it, to get this treasure, to get this pearl? And your friend looks at you and says, do you you still want it? Now, we stop there for a moment. Now, I think the only way that you can answer yes to that question, do you still want it, is if you know just how valuable it is. Friend asks the question and a smile begins to creep across your face. You say, do I still want it? Oh, there is nothing, there is nothing compared to what this treasure is. Friend says, you want the treasure? You want this treasure? What is so valuable about this treasure? And you say, where do I begin? Oh, let me tell you about the treasure. I am restored in relationship with my creator. I am forgiven for my sins. I, who was once an enemy, are now made a citizen of heaven. I have a place to belong. Not only am I in the kingdom, but I get access to the king. I get God who rules and reigns over my life now, means he's working everything for my good. I don't have to find my purpose. I receive my purpose and I live it out. I receive brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers through the church. Where once circumstances dictated my joy, now I have access to a wellspring of joy despite the circumstances that come my way. Where once I was trapped in the loves and longings of this world, now I'm freed up to love God and enjoy his gifts to give me. Shall I go on? What is the treasure worth? Or how long do you have? See, the kingdom of heaven is like that, friends. It's like a man 
finding treasure and selling all that he has with joy. He'd buy in the field to make it his own. Don Carson says, when the man buys the field at such sacrifice, he possesses far more than the price paid. The kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. After all, isn't this what Jesus is modeling to us through the gospel? Isn't Jesus, for the joy set before him, enduring the cross, scorning its shame? Isn't Christ come to, to pay the ultimate price for our sins, shedding his blood, giving his life for us? In joy, he left heaven to come to earth. He, he laid down his, gender, his agenda to, to pick up a cross. He left everything he had to give us everything we need. You want to know how great cost is actually be able to pay with great joy? It's by coming and, and meditating on this beautiful, glorious gospel. Everything that Christ has done for us. But we aren't to think that there were like some beautiful shimmering pearl all dolled up. No, we, we were hardened rebels, yet he set his love upon us. And because his love is upon us, we are made his treasured possession, do you see? We are seen as valuable. We've given value because God has set his love upon us, a people for himself to have for eternity. When you know the great cost of Jesus, you know, th- this year, you, you're gonna, if you haven't already been faced with the cost of following Jesus in the last seven days, they will come. So what's going to get you through? What's going to help you pay the, the cost of faithfulness and discipleship? Well, it's knowing the great cost Christ has paid for you. Great joy of Christ, that shapes our great joy in following him, whatever the cost. That's why this year you could, you could lose everything joyfully, freed up to lose it all because you've gained Christ. And you'll discover, you'll discover this, the more you treasure Jesus, the more you're willing to sacrifice to him, and listen, the more joy you'll experience. Great cost, great value, great joy. There'll be no sacrifice too great that we could make. It begins by just seeing afresh this glorious gospel and then using the powers of the gospel, the the value of the kingdom to kind of dispel any of the things of this world your heart wants to hold on to. Thomas Chalmers said, the gospel is expulsive in its power. It expels lesser treasures. It awakens a new appetite, a new affection, a new sense, a new taste, a new longing in the heart that nothing but Jesus can fill. And that longing, that delight in Christ expels every rival. You want to know how to make great costs with great joy? Through the motivating power of the gospel. Will it be costly? Oh, of course. Will it be joy-filled? Most certainly. Will it be worth it? you get the kingdom. Following Jesus is costly. I think it's true that um, one of the ways that Christianity has been pitched to people is follow Jesus and your life will get better. But for some people, that's not how it works. You decide to follow Jesus and all of a sudden, now you've got problems in your life because the sin which you didn't have a problem with before, now you've got a problem with. The decisions, you, how you've ordered your life, now that Jesus is king, you've got to start reorder, reordering it under the lordship of Jesus. And that creates problems, that creates tensions. Rosaria Butterfield, you might be familiar with, she was a former New York um, professor, uh, a lesbian activist. And she came to Christ through an unlikely friendship, uh, friendship with her neighbor and future pastor, Ken Smith. 
So over the course of two years, she's reading the Bible. She's, she's got her questions being engaged with. She's weighing up the cost. She's like, if I follow Jesus, this is going to be really costly. Not least of which was her girlfriend and her lesbian lifestyle. And in this interview, she says, she says I, had to give up almost, I had to give up everything. I had to give up her idols, her ideologies, her sexual identity. She said, I lost everything but the dog. She said, praise God for his mercies. She says, but what I gained was infinitely more. She says, there is simply no price you can, pay, you can put on the peace of God. I think Rosaria would say with the psalmist, whom am I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you, God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You are my treasure. You are the pearl of great price. You are more valuable to me than anything else. And there is no cost I could pay that would ever come close to the cost you paid to have me and as one of yours. So if you can imagine now the parable of Coomera Baptist Church, 2024. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When Coomera Baptist Church found it, they treasured it above all else. They delighted in giving up their margin to disciple others. They were pleased to support one another. They, they, they gave of their own effortlessly. They, they sacrificed with smiles on their faces. They, they found ways to serve one another. They began leaving a greater impression on the lives of those around them. And people began to recognize with greater clarity that, that those group of people were disciples of Jesus because they looked like Christians of the King. Today, if you're not following Jesus... If you haven't entered the kingdom, if maybe you haven't seen how worthy it is, how worthwhile it is, I pray that you would get a glimpse of that today. Would you know that the offer of forgiveness from the, the coming king is extended to you today, freely extended? Repent from your sins. Repent from living life your own way. Come and bow your knee to him. Trust him to be Lord over your life. It's so valuable. You'll give up your life to get it, but in doing so, you'll get eternal life with God. So church, what are we going to value this year? What will you value? How will you see what value, what value is most? And then by grace, how will you show it? What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is so valuable that giving up everything is a happy trade-off. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that Jesus is infinitely valuable. That the kingdom of heaven, having you as our king, is incalculable. There is no price that we could possibly pay too great to enter into it, to receive it and have you as our own. Forgive us, we pray, for the pursuit of empty counterfeits that's marked our lives. And grant us grace now as we come to the Lord's table to meet him, to bow before him, to feast on him, and to make him alone our treasure. For we ask it in his name. Amen.